Hi, I'm Joe Vraga. Welcome to Unripe, where I talk to experts and women like you and me as we find a place in the world and a community of women who are childless by circumstance or child-free by choice. I'm going to talk about IVF, being single and childless, childless and married, like me, or in a relationship, abortion, losing friends to motherhood, and all the topics that people just don't like to talk about. Who knew how hard it could be to find a group to talk about this stuff? We're a tribe hidden in plain sight. So I'm going to talk about it all. The good, the bad, the freedom, the loneliness, the judgment, and the possibilities when you're a childless woman. Let's make these conversations part of the mainstream. So come on, join me. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So pleased to have you here. It's really lovely to see that our listener numbers are growing and you've been sending me the best emails and messages, letting me know that this is really helping and I'm beyond thrilled. Thank you. Remember, this is therapy for me as much as it is for you. When I started the podcast last year, it was something, as I've said before, that I wanted to do for a really long time, but I just didn't know if I had a message. And then I realized that, well, my message is just being honest about my experience and then allowing a space for other people to come on the show and be honest about their experience. And in keeping with that, I spoke with Katie Seppi recently. Katie is an incredible, incredible childless voice. She has a really terrific Instagram page as well. And so I spoke to her about the circumstances surrounding her childless life. Katie's Instagram feed draws you in immediately. She's whipcracker smart, has real empathy and understanding of what brings women to seek others who are feeling the pain of infertility due to conditions such as endometriosis, which is what she has, and polycystic ovarian syndrome and other situations leading to hysterectomies in so many cases. Now, Katie was once a beautician and a hairstylist, and let me tell you, it really shows on her feed. She is gorgeous. I was drawn to Katie largely because her message is fun and heartbreaking and really beautiful to look at and so honest. Plus, She's got a couple of tats. And if you've seen me, you know that I'm really fond of a tattoo. No regrets. And she has a totally rad pair of leopard print roller skates. I think they might be moxies. And as an ex-roller derby wannabe myself, I'm instantly drawn to anyone who skates and has cool roller skates. Now, Katie grew up Mormon in Utah and she lives in Utah today with her husband. And she calls herself unexpectedly child-free after infertility. We speak about her journey to infertility through endometriosis and about the life she and her husband have found for themselves despite that. She also recently posted something really interesting, which is about fertility coaches sliding into the DMs of people who have stopped actively trying to get pregnant. And in the post, wow, she's she's just really honest. Go check it out. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's really fun, uh, but also very, very meaningful and important. If you're one of those people... Stop doing it. We're not here trying to get pregnant. Most of us are beyond that age and we've also come to terms with it or are coming to terms with it. That's what we're here for. Thank you. Stop doing it. Anyway, Katie tells us how she got here, how she came to be married quite young 
and how she came to be infertile and how growing up Mormon has had an effect on how she thought about herself as a woman in a culture that puts mothers and motherhood on a pedestal. And we also speak about an event that she's got coming up in March, which is super duper exciting. I can't wait. Enjoy the show. Hi, Katie. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. So I've introed you a little bit. Now it's over to you. Tell us a bit about your story. The kind of short version is that my husband and I got married pretty young. I was Mormon when we got married. So there's a big emphasis on having kids. Um, My husband was more ambivalent about having kids. So I had made a rule that the no wins. So as long as he was a no, it was going to be a no. And then we were married for really almost a decade. And he got really excited about having kids suddenly and was like, yeah, I want to do this. Let's let's go for it. And the researcher that I am, I had spent so long reading like books about how to monitor your cycles and how to get pregnant quickly and all these things. So I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. And then month after month kept going by not getting pregnant. So um, we, you know, started doing the doctor's visits and trying to figure out what's going on. And so during the four years that we were going through infertility, I had a surgery to remove uterine polyps. And then I had another surgery to remove endometriosis and fibroids. And then we had a failed IVF cycle. And then, you know, all the negative pregnancy test months every month in between during that time. And I got to a place where we were I was making the decision of if I wanted to do a second IVF cycle or have a hysterectomy partially for my endometriosis, but also for, I had fibroids and other stuff going on. I was just sick of having periods too. So ultimately I went with the hysterectomy. And so that kind of put a hard finality to our trying to conceive. And then obviously we, you know, had other options that we could have considered like adoption or even doing surrogacy because I still have an ovary. But for us, we just decided that we have been through so much and put so much time into it already that it just wasn't worth starting a new process. That was a few years ago. And I had kind of a different story because I had this like final line in the sand where, you know, someone who has unexplained infertility, you could go years and years still having a period wondering like, could this month be the month that I just, it just happens or, but for me, it's like, I know it's not going to happen. So I can just like have this finality and move forward. There's always lots of controversy around hysterectomy as the gold standard for dealing with women's issues down there. I remember reading many years ago that doctors would just recommend a hysterectomy if the issue couldn't be adequately diagnosed. Now, if you've listened to our recent episode about endometriosis, you'll know that it takes an average nine years for a diagnosis and that by that stage, so many women are desperate and vulnerable and will do just about everything. Of course, hysterectomies have their place. Oh, this is like such a hard one. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I do want to be really clear about it because I think the the issue of hysterectomy within the endometriosis community is a really difficult thing to discuss because you had you had a lot of doctors saying this is how you can cure it then you've got women having hysterectomies and still having all this pain and all the issues they have before being like, why did you do this? It didn't help. And so I think it is important to differentiate that endometriosis by definition is outside of your uterus. So it's 
it's lesions that are formed in other parts of your pelvic area and on organs. And so a hysterectomy on its own actually is not really going to help with much. Like it could remove some of your period pain, but it's not going to help with endometriosis. So I have had two excision surgeries, which is the gold standard for endometriosis. It's where they actually go in and cut out endometriosis wherever they can find it. I have it pretty much on most of my organs in my pelvic area, you know, my bladder, my ureters, my just all over the place. So I think it's really important to distinguish that I didn't necessarily have the hysterectomy for endometriosis. It was partially for fibroids and partially because as I was going to a very skilled endometriosis surgeon who who knew his stuff that I asked him, like, if I just want to go for the most, like for me to have the best quality of life, what would you recommend? And so obviously like another excision surgery was recommended. And when we talked about hysterectomy, it was more of him just giving me the information. And I had done a lot of research on my own as well. And then what I love about him is that he said, you know, I'm not a paternalistic doctor, so I'm not going to make a decision for you. I'll give you advice. I'll answer, answer all your questions. I can give you my professional recommendation. So it was, I mean, it was a hard decision in terms of what it meant for my life with fertility, but I was just at a place where pain had taken over so much of my life for so many years because it took me 20 years to get diagnosed. And I was in really severe pain during that time. And so for me, getting the hysterectomy, knowing that that was going to be my best chance, in addition to the excision surgery, that I could maybe get my quality of life back. And that is what it did for me. That second surgery, my pain level is not anywhere close to what it was. Like my life is totally different now. I've shared my period woes here a lot, so I won't regale you with those stories again. But what I'm constantly reminded of is that women and girls simply don't share what's happening to them enough. The reason I keep coming back to this sharing of the gory details is because if I'd known when I was a teenager and a young adult that what I was experiencing was common, not normal, but common, I may not have felt the shame. Let me give you some examples of the shame I felt as a young woman. Judge if you want. Flushing the toilet so people in the next cubicle couldn't hear me peeing. I mean, far out. Unwrapping a tampon really gently so someone in the next cubicle wouldn't know that I was about to insert a tampon. Uh, An unexpected period and using carefully folded wads of toilet paper instead of asking someone for a pad or a tampon because, you know, don't want to tell them that you've got your period. I mean, I went to an all-girls school. We all have a fucking period, Right. Or even telling a teacher that I wanted to go home because my undies were soaked in blood. Instead, I would maniacally try to soak them up with toilet paper, soak all that blood up. I mean, you know, just, oh, God, I don't miss those days. I felt like a freak. How about you, Katie? Oh, yeah. I mean, we all know that other women are having periods, but it's not like we're talking about like, well, what does that look like for you? And so I went through my entire like junior high and high school years, my mom who I also think probably had endometriosis, but never got diagnosed. She had taught me how to take two of the super extra, like those super plus humongous tampons. She had taught me when I was in junior high, how to use two of them at once so that I could go to school because my flow was that heavy that like I put in a super extra tampon and it's not going to last that long. I'm going to bleed through it. But to me, like, because that was normal for her and she didn't know that was abnormal, that got taught to me that that's normal and that's just what your period is. And my sisters had debilitating periods too, where, you know, it was like 
take a handful of, of you know, mitol or ibuprofen, like way more than what we should have been taking and like, just do what you can to get through your day. So I think it's hard because if whatever you hear from others gets normalized and we don't talk about it. Okay, enough about periods. For now, by the time Katie understood that it was unlikely she was going to become a mum, she was an adult and the longing was real. The grief was... Well, let's let Katie tell her story. Ooh, I mean, I was in pretty severe grief at the time. And I was, I think, pretty unrecognizable to myself. Like, I think I was this kind of different version of myself that I didn't really know. I didn't know how to get to know me or what was happening. And so I kind of felt like a stranger. Like I wanted to spend a lot of time alone and I was crying all the time and I didn't have motivation to do much. And so after a while I realized, oh, I'm going through grief, but like, I didn't have a name for it for a long time. I just felt like this is my life now. I'm always going to feel like this. I'm just always going to be the sad person that's crying every day, all day. (laughs) The way we're brought up has a huge impact on so much of our lives. Maybe you were told that being a mum was the most noble role for a woman. So if you then decided to opt out or you're childless, not by choice, what does that mean for you? If these thoughts are embedded into our minds, it's so hard to reinvent them. I grew up Catholic and it was pretty lax in terms of following any doctrine. As an Italian Catholic, a lot of it is optics. Please send hate mail to... No, don't, don't. The religion really didn't factor into my life other than the eight hours a day at Catholic school, weekly confession and all that stuff. The Catholic Church, like so many religions, doesn't have a name for childless women. And yet, and yet, there's a tribe of them who serve the faith. We call them nuns. For Katie and her husband who both grew up Mormon, the impact on the religion on their lives was most broadly encompassing. For From what I can tell, Mormonism isn't something you just do on a Sunday, like us Catholics. It's a way of life that impacts everything, especially the woman's role in nurturing the family. So by the time Katie got married, her husband was no longer practicing and Katie had one foot in and one foot out. But that didn't make things any easier. Yes. I mean, to the extent that there's not even really language or like a place for women who don't have kids. It's all of the language revolves around women as mothers. So what about role models? Did you have any childless role models? Uh, You know, I really didn't. I think when I got into my early 20s, I had made, you know, a few friends who were child free by choice. And I think at that time, and I'm embarrassed to say this now, but even at that time, I thought, oh, that's just so sad. Like they're missing out and how like they'll never be happy. I mean, to be honest, I felt the same way about people who weren't Mormon because it's like the way that I was raised and the, the kind of framework that, that I was taught. But it was like impossible for me to even imagine what your life could look like being happy and fulfilled and having meaning if you didn't have kids. Like the two just were so tied together in my brain. And so, yeah, even the people, the few people that I did know who had chosen not to have kids, it was like I almost pitied them at the time of like, oh, that's so sad. I don't feel sorry for them anymore at all. And I think it's because I have met so many people and I've had such a mind shift. I'm almost 40 now. This is like in my early, this is probably 20 years ago, you know, that I'm talking about. But I think it was like a really slow shift over time because I think the beginning of it was that because my husband had said like, well, I I am not sure if I want kids. I went from this mindset of I want to be a stay at home mom. And that is my life's ambition and my only goal in life 
to, okay, maybe that's not going to happen or it's not going to happen for a long time. So I started college at 25. It took me forever. I went through and got my master's. So I was already taking on a lot of challenges and adding depth to my life that I hadn't planned on where, you know, by the time that I started getting pregnant, I had had this decade of like healing some childhood wounds and becoming a more independent person, taking on new challenges, getting degrees that would allow me to um, start a new career. Uh, we had moved, I moved across the country. So I was experiencing like a new place to live. I think it was like all those things were kind of combining into me building a life outside of children that I was already really happy with. And then when I went through infertility, you know, after like a few years, it did get to a place where I thought, well, wow, this really might not happen. And then I started finding, you know, books that had been written by women who had not had kids who had wanted them and couldn't have them. And I think I related a little more to that than women who are child-free by choice, at least in that moment, because it was like, okay, this person wanted it, didn't get it, but look, they still are so happy and loving where they're at. And I wanted to figure out, okay, how do I do that? What about your husband? You mentioned he was ambivalent, but did you know this when you started dating? Well, I'll tell you something that I probably haven't ever talked about. We were so stupid. I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but okay. So we, we got married after only six months of knowing each other. And so to be honest, we had not had a lot of conversations about much of anything. Like it was just, we were, had butterflies and we're Twitter painted and it was like, oh, this is so great. Like, and we were young too. I mean, I was 24 and he was 25. And I think at the time, Like we had definitely had conversations and he had been very honest with me and I had been honest back in terms of like, okay, for as long as you don't want kids, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not like, I'm okay with that. But I think in the back of my mind, I still felt like, well, at some point he will change his mind. But I did hold my end of the bargain where I did not nag him or pressure him or bring it up all the time. Like we would check in. I don't know, every year or two and be like, hey, how are you feeling about this? But I kind of just let it be. It became this turning point where he started saying like, I can picture what this would be like. I can picture what our little girl would look like. I can picture what it'd be like to have this in our lives. And it sounds great. And I think I've been waiting for that for so long that I was like, okay, I thought this might happen, but I didn't know if it would. And so I just jumped straight into it when he got to that place. And how about the church? Did it still have a hold on the way you thought about your life purpose at that point? Yeah. I mean, I would say that on a conscious level, I would have told you that I was completely over it. By that time, I had surrounded myself with so many people who didn't have kids that were leading like amazing lives. And I knew it was possible. I knew that they were happy and fulfilled and looked up to them and had so many mentors that I could look up to. So I knew on a conscious level that that was possible, but I was surprised, I guess, that when I was in therapy um, during that time, there were definitely themes that would come up of just that messaging of like, you're not good enough. You're not like something's wrong with you. This thing you were supposed to be able to do or fulfill, you weren't good enough to do it. And there was like this shame and kind of guilt and worthiness. And worthiness is like a big thing in Mormonism. That word gets used a lot of, in all kinds of ways. And I think it was just, yeah, it, that some of that stuff got so deep rooted that I, it definitely would come up in my therapy sessions and I had to dig pretty deep into those. Once you drew the line in the sand on kids, what did it feel like at that moment? I mean, I think it was, it was like a mix of getting hit with that grief that I didn't really know how it's like what to do with. But then at the same time, there was also a sense of relief of just being able to say, 
I'm still in pain. This sucks. I don't know what to do with this, but at least I'm not in this like hope despair cycle that I was in for four years where it was just so draining to have to constantly be wondering if like, this is the month or this is a treatment or this is the thing that's going to work. And then constantly having that hope dashed, there was like a relief that also came along with it, a feeling like, well, at least I at least I know moving forward this part of my life and I can plan around it now because it feels like you're in limbo, right? Because having a baby, like it's probably the biggest like life-changing thing you can do because if you have a baby, that is your life now. Like you have to live in a good school district and like think about childcare and think about just like, you know, how you're going to organize your day just logistically. And so I think just, I've been holding space for that for so long. Like I didn't want to quit my job because I offered good maternity leave or, you know, just like thinking through all those details. So there was this kind of level of just, all right, well, that didn't turn out how I wanted. And this kind of sucks. But at the same time, there is a relief of well, I can plan now I can actually get back to owning my life. I mean, it must have taken a lot of strength to shift your thinking so totally. Mm, I would say I had a really good therapist. (laughs) That's great. It happened over years, right? It's not like overnight, I was just like, I'm this empowered, like new person that can just tackle anything. Like we're talking, about a very long period of time. So it was kind of small changes. You know, I keep coming back to this, but I did have a really good therapist. So I think part of that was just having someone who was very skilled at helping me process a lot of what I was going through and kind of make that transition into like, okay, I'm not going to have kids. What does that look like? Consider myself an atheist. So I don't get, you know, my kind of worldview from a religious perspective or so praying is not going to help. Like I don't have that as a context for like how to view the things that I'm going through. And so um, I... Well, I still am, but at the time I was really into more like mythology and there was something really comforting about reading mythological stories and stories about different goddesses and seeing like that these stories were written so long ago or these different archetypes that we have and seeing you know, the hero's journey and all these different ideas of this process I could see myself going through. And it was like, oh, I I feel like I just went through something unique that was really hard. And my circumstances are like, I'm the only one who's ever been through it. And then tapping into that made it feel like, no, this is like the human experience. Okay, we have to talk about your Instagram page, Chasing Creation. It is so beautiful and so empowering with a lot of edge. I love the fact that, you know, you tell it like it is and you do it in a very stylish way. I think it was almost two years ago. So Chasing Creation, I got the idea for it while I was recovering from my hysterectomy. So I had like a month off of work and I watched a bunch of tutorials on how to start a WordPress site and like all the stuff. And I had an idea in my head of what I wanted it to be. And then I don't think I did anything with it for like six months. It, it just sat there. And then I was like, oh, I'll do a blog. So I did some blog posts and, and then I got really bored of writing blog posts. But then I started my Instagram account. I really liked how interactive active that was. It's funny because I'll get this feedback from people of like, oh, this post meant so much to me today. It's what I needed to hear. And it's funny to me because I typically will just write like what I'm needing to hear at the time or the thoughts that are rattling around in my brain. And then those are typically the ones that like resonate with other people too. When I initially started the account, it was really about feeling so lonely and wanting to put my thoughts out and my experience out in hopes that maybe a couple other people would respond. And I could have that like echo back of, yes, I get it. Like that validation of I've been through this too. I know what it's like. 
let's connect and talk about it. And now I've literally connected with hundreds, thousands of people who are in similar situations. And my grief is not as strong as it was. And I don't need as much validation because I've received it from so many different amazing people that I've connected with over the last few years. So I do feel like I get a lot out of it still in terms of like, I love the connection. I love the community, but I don't need it in the same way that I used to. So there is this level of feeling like it's gone from something very personal to me now being very focused on how do I build community for others. Do you find yourself wondering what big thing you'd have to create that would give your life as much meaning as having a baby? I mean, I know I have. I really feel like we, we've got to push back against that message that if we don't have kids, there has to be something huge and braggy that we can like show instead. I don't feel like I need some big, huge, grand thing. Like it's a pretty simple life. You know, I have a job. I work for a nonprofit that does children's advocacy. Katie's really typical of Americans in some way. This is what I found when I lived there. They travel a lot for work and for university. I always found that really fascinating. Students travel across the country for college rather than go in one of their states. And for Katie, this has created a love of new experiences. We've had some really fun experiences. Like we moved to the American South when I did my master's program. We moved to Georgia and we lived there for a year. And then we moved to Charleston, South Carolina. And we were there for a couple of years. And then uh, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were there for like a year. And then we bought a cabin up in the mountains and we lived in a cabin for two years. So we've had like really fun experiences the last couple of years. Um, most recently, we just moved back to Utah um, a few months ago. And that put me back with my family. Although with coronavirus, I've been able to see them much, but that's something that I realized is really important to me. I enjoy having new experiences. And so the flexibility of being able to hop around and travel and We talked a lot about life purpose and Katie admits to being a dabbler like so many of us, like me. Oh my God, if I told you all the things that I have tried over the years, it's, I mean, it's fun, but Katie's now working on a really important project that is full of purpose and courage and she's seeing it all the way through. This was my harebrained idea. We'll see how it all comes together. But with my job that I have full time, I put together Summit. So I have experience with it. And but and I had this kind of idea in my head about how cool it would be to do it for the childless community. But I travel a lot for work typically. And so I thought there is just no way that I could pull that off. So with coronavirus, I have a lot more time in terms of I'm not traveling as much. And I thought, oh, this is like this perfect window, not taking into account just the like level of stress that it puts on you to be living through a pandemic and timing wasn't as great as I thought it's a little more stressful than I had planned people are doing things kind of in silos but I haven't seen anything on this big of a scale to say who are my favorite childless voices how can I bring them together for one event it's a four-day event it'll be all online I have 28 different speakers and there's a different theme every day so the first day is focused on our stories The second is finding healing. The third is making connections. And then the fourth is looking ahead. It's really turned into just this way to bring community together. And I think, you know, my master's degree is in social work, but the emphasis was in program development and community empowerment. 
And so I think I come because of that training, I come to so many different things with like a community lens of how do we build this? And to me, that's where my heart is right now, because I think if you're someone who is just realizing that you you wanted to have kids and you're not going to have them, sometimes it can feel like there's a couple books you can pick up. There's like one or two podcasts. There's starting to be a couple more like yours is so fantastic. There's a couple Instagram accounts you can follow. Jody's got her whole like support system that you can tap into. And those are all amazing but it can feel very siloed where it's like I want everyone coming into this to just feel held by a community and like they're part of something bigger and to do that we need to collaborate we need to be sharing language how we talk about it how we share ideas around what it's like how we share resources and so that's kind of my big vision so I have to ask what made you do it what kind of a difference would this have made for me if I had access to this five years ago? Because the thing about this path is that I may be in a different place right now because I feel like I've gone through a lot of healing and I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. But what about those people who are me five years ago who are just at the place where I was then? What do they have in terms of resources and support right now? And so I really tried to bring my values, my personal values into this. That's why all of the presentations are available for free because I wanted it to be accessible. I wanted everybody to be able to benefit from it. To me, that's important. Like there's so much healing and validation and peace that can come with hearing someone, like I said before, that can kind of echo your story or echo that like, yeah, I get it. And in order to do that, you've got to you've got to make sure that you've got different voices because our stories all look the same. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, it was so fun. And I'm excited to meet you. I found your podcast a few months ago and I listened to all the episodes and I was like, oh, she's so funny oh, and awesome. Thank <laughs> Thanks. See you, Katie. Bye. The Childless Collective Summit is taking place from March 18th to 21st. The summit features 28 speakers, all focused on topics related to living a childless life. And you can join from the comfort of your home or work, wherever. Once you register, each day you'll receive a link to the schedule with access links. Each session's available for 24 hours so you can watch after work or on a walk or with a gin fizz on your patio or, my favourite, in a bath. The guests are diverse in terms of cultural background, religious diversity, age, relationship status, there are childless stepmoms, and they talk about the way that they came to be in the childless space. The summit is free. The basic access pass gives access to audio and video recordings of the presenters for a full year and access to Katie of Chasing Creation's new workshop, responding to intrusive questions and unsolicited advice. Or you can choose to grab an all access pass that includes all of the basic access inclusions, plus transcripts of the presentations, tons of speaker contributed bonuses and goodies, and exclusive episodes from some of your favorite podcasters. Now, while most of the presentations pre recorded, the speakers will be available via the chat during their presentation time, so they'll be interacting live. Cool. Bookings are now open. I'll leave a link in the show notes and on the website. As always, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a terrific one. I loved talking to Heidi. She is a breath of fresh air. It's interesting to get different perspectives. Religious and cultural differences make a huge difference in the way that we perceive ourselves and the world as childless people. I hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to speaking to you next time. As always, shoot me an email if you have anything you want me to talk about that you think I have a blind spot about or that I've missed out on. Hello, unripe at gmail.com. Have a good one. Bye.
I'd love you to join the community on Facebook and Instagram, which is at Unripe Community. And if you're childless or child-free, you're welcome to join the private group, which you'll find a link to on the Facebook page. If you want to share a story or let me know what topics you'd like to hear more about, please drop me an email at hellounripe at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, leave a review on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes and Spotify, so other people can find it. The website is where you'll find a little bit more about me, plus all the show notes. Go to unripecommunity.com.au 